With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode of the Chicken Nick Podcast is brought to you by Dundee Bank. Did you know if you switch to Dundee Bank today, you turn in your old checks and set up a direct deposit to receive up to $100. Dundee Bank. Switch to Dundee Bank. They're local and they care about the community. Check them out at DundeeBanking.com. Member FDIC. Chicken Nick Pod also brought to you by Revolution Wraps. From exterior signage to interior office branding, window graphics and wall murals, and vehicle wraps. They've got everything you need to grow your brand. It's Revolution Wraps. Check them out at revolutionwraps.com. Start something big. I just don't think this conference will last long. Well, I think you're, you're spot on on everything that you said in your analysis. Good to be back. Good to be back here and uh, chatting with you. Full disclosure, this is a busy, busy time. We're recording this on a Saturday. Uh, I just got back from Indianapolis, and uh, I'm going on a vacation. My pet's heads are falling off. You are, you are going crazy. Know what to do. Well, I mean, a couple of things before we dive into a, to more important things. Like, I, I just don't think this conference will last long. But I, I, I feel like my second home is Indianapolis because of how many Butler games I do. And I, I saw you got your – was this your first time you got your, your Elmo's Shrimp Cocktail game right? This is the first time I got my Indianapolis game right. You've never gone to Indy? I'm I a- always played along when people were like, it's a great sports town with <laughs> everything so close. I'm like, I know, right? Like, <laughs> like you go to the hotel and you just walk to the Final Four. It's amazing, man. It's the- great. Everything's centrally located. It's a great sports town. I know. Great, great for events. You just full of it. But I no, I'm a huge indie fan. I'm a huge fan. And yeah, the short cocktail though. Yeah. What are your thoughts? That mug I is like an atomic about- bomb in your nose, boy. I had heard things, and that's what I said when I ate it. I <laughs> I had heard things about it. And but then you forget and you're like, oh, this looks great. And I I had uh dinner with uh, I was there with Tom Scott Van Heron, Adam Rittenberg, Ooh. and Mitch Sherman. Wow. And and it was dinner. Like, I had actually eaten before because I was hungry and didn't know I'd get an invite anywhere. Oh, uh, shoot. And so I sat there and watched them eat their steak. But when I sat down and I, you know, I had the... The St. Elmo's, they sold it at this other place. So we went to this other place, Harry and Izzy's, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to Harry and Izzy's. Yeah. There's probably not a restaurant in that downtown area I haven't been to because you boys spend a lot of time there, but continue. Yeah, so we went there, and we ordered the shrimp cocktail, and I look at it, like, man, that sauce looks pretty good. It's so good you don't need sauce. This is St. Elmo's cocktail sauce. So good you don't need sauce. (laughs) And in retrospect, I wish it was that good. It didn't need sauce. (laughs) Because 
I took a chunk of that going, this sauce looks awesome. Oh, boy. Took a chunk of it, and my nose, like, it, it felt like uh, <laughs> like a Puff the Magic Dragon with without the, you know, the... The, the holes and the top of your nose for the air to go through, and it just had nowhere to go. Right. I was like, whoa, it's like an ice cream headache except in your nose and it burns? Yes. And Mitch looks over to me. He's like, calm down. You know, and I... <laughs> but, uh, but then it's like an ice cream headache. I got done with that, and I'm like, oh, I'll take another bite. And it was good. I just don't know why you'd want pain with your food. I, I, I know. I, I mean, I feel like it's you, you got to be careful, especially when... There's times I'm calling a Butler game and I'm on the air and you know you chat about you know to be like all right we're gonna come back scene set St Elmo's then we're gonna get outside of Hinkle Fieldhouse and we're in and, you know the play play is like back in Indianapolis the famous elbows and, uh, and I there's been times I want to be like I gotta tell you I think it's way overrated but I feel like that would get me like you know jazz would get thrown out of uncle phil's house like that would be me out of indianapolis if you say that so i got to be careful with it but yeah i don't i mean that mug is hot especially you like you're a spicy guy so i figured you had the the palate for it but you don't got the nasal passages for it one word to describe me is spicy and uh, i i like spicy things i just don't like things that like i like you give me a you know jalapeno or a very hot salsa i'm like you know what i'll deal with that because i'm used to it being in the mouth, right? Like yeah. in that, you know, your mouth burning. I'm not used to it in the nose. Yeah, and it's I'm not all sure. in the nose. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So. I mean, I don't understand. I, I'm not anti-hot things, but there gets to a point where, I remember I went to I went to Nashville like three years ago with some buddies, and they wanted to go have some, like, I think it's called Hattie's, Hattie B's Hot Chicken. And this chicken is like, and these two, my two buddies are like eating a, the hottest chicken sandwich, and they are pouring sweat. Like, like look like they are Alonzo Mourning in in the playoffs in 1994, you know, like, and I'm like, why would you do this to yourself? You know, like what? I don't understand. They're like, oh, this is great. I'm like, is it? Because you guys got to go shower after you eat. You know, I don't get it. But okay, I wanted to, I wanted to get in the Elmo's talk. Yep. No, it was good. It was good. So okay. I've, now I've. Uh, if you followed my KETV career, I have interviewed Elmo, and now I've eaten Elmo. And, uh, it was, it's an interesting. It's all downhill uh, for here. From, from here, from you know what I'm I want to uh, get into this quickly. Uh, in weekend, and I talked with Scott uh, Frost a little Whoa. bit. We could play play a few minutes. We had can so you, this is. Can you play it again for me? <laughs> you, can you play it again for me? And yeah, we'll we'll play those again. So we, we'll have technically we'll have. Me interviewing Frost this week. We had me interviewing Frost or it's Trev Alberts last week, and it became painfully obvious that no one expected that interview to be legitimate. Right. Uh, Mitch Sherman even said, you know, it took a while into the interview where he's like, oh my gosh, this is a real interview. He anticipated, and I'm guessing everyone else did too. I put up a poll on the. Um, Chicken yeah. Nick Twitter account. Did you expect the Trev Alberts interview to be real or fake? And the final results. Weeping majority. Uh, like 80-20, 75-25? Like- yeah, let me uh let me let me see here. Uh I mean, that had to have been north of 70-30. It was 
out of 400 votes, 80% thought it would be fake, 20% thought it would be real. That's that's an amazing stat, and I don't know if that speaks to our lack of journalistic credibility or just the fact that we've never had an interview played on this show, and it just so happened to be Trev Alberts, and people thought, oh, you're just going to – you're just going to ask questions, and then you're going to play, you know. You know, it's a really good question, and I've thought a lot about that. I've been asked that a couple times. I think it's all of the above. I, th- I think it speaks to the fact we've never had a- an interview, but I also think it speaks to the fact of what people expect from us, and they do not expect anything legitimate in terms of hard-hitting journalism at all. So, but I just... I wish I could have, because what's hard is in my. I knew you had a real interview with him, right. so I'm I'm trying to really put myself in a listener's shoes, like, because I didn't even think about that, and then you know the the tweets start flying in, like, whoa, this is a real interview, and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess they probably would have expected some <laughs> stupid little bit, you know, like, and we buried it too, like it was like 30 minutes into the pod, right? It's right. like here's this interview with the athletic director. Of Nebraska athletics, like, okay. And then we did ask this question, who had the better good question compliment? Have I been was it, supplanted? Was it, was it Brandon Godden? I think that is a fantastic question of one that I have yet to be asked in all these interviews. Or was it Trev Alberts when he said this to me? Wow, you're pretty good at asking questions, aren't you? <laughs> and... We did see some great uh, pictures come in of Trev yeah. wearing a cowboy hat yeah. in a salute. Trev, Trev Alberts to Schick, 65% of the vote. Oh, Brandon no. Gunn, 35%. That hurts. That's like yeah. an old record going down that you, you, know, you want to feel happy about it. But Brandon and I always had that together. And now I don't know what we are. Who, who remembers the second best reaction to a good question? Yeah. The answer is nobody. You know, it's a really good question, and I've thought a lot about that. I've been asked that a couple times. I get that. Yeah, I get that, Trev. So my, my lone regret in this whole thing was when I was there for SiriusXM, Trev was – we were in, like, the side room, so everyone would be shuffled to us. We talked to every player and every coach that was there. But out in the main – on the football field, which, by the way, you need sunglasses when you're just hanging out in there. That thing is bright. Is like, it? That, I've never been great. in Lucas Oil, but I've been – or where else? Yeah, it's it's cool. I've been I haven't been area around, but it was it was really cool. It's a great field. But uh, Trev was holding court, and I wanted to you know say hello or say hey thanks for the interview. And uh, he was you know he was there most of the day, but I was in a closet most of the day, so right. I wasn't able to uh, to do that. So, but yeah, he was. Did you see that interview with Trev? He did. He did great. I mean, his his yes. holding court. I mean, he's just he's so he's so good. He's so smooth. Yes. You know what? And this is long term. You, could you could you see him as like the commissioner of the Big Ten someday or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he, he's got that look. Like, doesn't he? he? He's got the look of a guy that could that could be an athletic director. He could be the commissioner of a conference. He could be like a, a senator. He could be it. But like he he's got that that the way he carries himself, how smooth he is. He's got that whole thing going on for himself. So. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he was fantastic. He was good. He had a lot of good answers. Talked about how he's not going to, you know, set a win loss number and all that stuff. And um, I mean, I don't know what you what else you would expect. Right. One of the th- go ahead. What no, I just I also think there's there's so many things 
that gets said that was Bill Moose good at his job? I mean, he hired good coaches, or at least we believe, right? Like, because you that... had the one little anecdote from Frost being like, I did, I, I, I wound up doing more things not related to football and spent more time on things not related to football than I wanted to. And I don't know. I just like, I think that's kind of the, I think one of the, I was listening to John and Josh on Sports Blanconic were, were talking about this a week after Moose had been, or Moose retired, and they were like, the reaction to this, nobody's, nobody's really like freaking out that Moose is gone, right? Like everyone's just like, hey, what's going on? And I think it's because no one could really totally sink their teeth into the answer to the question, was Bill Moose good at being the athletic director at Nebraska? And I, I'm I'm still puzzled by it as well. It seems like it does seem like whether he was physically at his ranch or at Nebraska, he was at the ranch. Yes, yes, right. Like he he struck me as a guy that he he truly felt like I just got I'm going to make these hires and then I'm I'm kicking back. I was I was hired to hire. Now I'm going to hire. Now I'm going to retire. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know because I also never understood. Because I also because it was interesting too with the news of Bruce Rasmussen retiring yeah. this year of like whenever I would hear these stories about Bill Moose never goes to sporting events he's not at basketball games he's not at this and not at that whenever the only thing I have to compare it to is Ras like I've been around the guy f- for almost two decades and e- shit every basketball game ever. Rass is there two hours before the game, walking around, shaking hands, talking to fans, talking to boosters, talking to whoever, media members, every game. And so that's what I know. So when I hear that Moose doesn't go to any sporting events other than a big football game, that just doesn't make sense to me. And then you hear what Frost says, and it's just, we don't need to go down a relitigating a Bill Moose's era, but I just think it's interesting how it kind of comes up again. And it's smart to go to every game because then when you're there, if you don't go to every game and then you show up, people are like, oh, gosh, this is a big deal. Right. You know, like, this is a big deal. And when we – I said last week that I regretted not asking Trev what makes a – how can you help the football program? But I also knew what he would say, which is why I didn't ask it, which is help things around the periphery. And we talked about it last week. I want to, He wants to coach and recruit. How can I eliminate some of the things on the periphery yeah. so he can focus on that? Yep. And then he was asked about that, and that's exactly what he said. Yes. That's what Trev said in Indianapolis. And we'll get to what Scott Frost had to say uh, about that, too, because I did ask him, how does a good athletic director help you? And his sure. answer was – his answer was interesting, and I can I think it kind of leads into, into that, which is you're right. Like the whole Trev Alberts versus Bill Moose, the Bruce Rasmussen retirement was met with. He did this for me. He was awesome. Now again, he longevity. He was there much longer right, than right, Bill Moose. Right. Was, okay, so the the relationships he saw graduating classes come and go. Bill Moose wasn't there for one. Right. Right. So it's completely different. But the outpouring of he did this for me, he cared about me, he was always there, I could confide in him. Bill Moose was just different. He wasn't necessarily there day to day. And it's you're, you're right in saying that no one's really talking about how great he was. If you ask, they'll say, yeah, I liked him. People liked him. I yeah. think that's the, the bottom line is people liked Bill Moose. But in that role, you have to be much more yeah, than likable. Yeah, it's just and, not about being liked. And when he showed up, 
he said things that kind of rocked the boat a little uh, that bit. That was what I was going to say. The, the times that he did pop up, he usually said things that created, I don't want to say, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but it would create a story. You know, like yeah. every time, it's seemingly every time he went on Sports Nightly or talked at Big Ten Media Days, he said something that, whether it was, for, you know, kind of taking a shot at the former players uh, a few months ago, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, I just hope we get to a bowl game two years ago when Nebraska was picked to finish to win the West, whether it was then this year saying, I think Nebraska has, you know, the, I think they're capable of winning eight or nine games or, or whatever. Like, it's just, so it's, he, it, his, his tenure was, was bizarre. And I still, I still don't know how to make sense of it, but then you hear these little things from Frost or whoever and at media days and you, and you try to connect the dots and you can't help but wonder like, was Bill Moose was Bill Moose day to day very, very good? I don't know. Yeah, he showed up and did what he was asked to do and made made some good hires. And then, like you know what this? And I wonder how much COVID impacts things. Like you know what this? I'm done. Right. I'm just right. This thing's over. All right. So uh, I, I do want to play. I don't want to bury this as much as we did uh, the last time. I cut this up. We talked to Scott Frost for about a dozen minutes or so, and I was a part of the interview, and I'm just going to play some of the things that I asked him and his answers. I will say, too, that when he walked into our room, he kind of did a double take with me, and he goes, hey, and I don't think I'd seen him in 15 years, but maybe covering, you know, Central Nebraska and Wood River and, and you know, maybe his parents or maybe, you know, let's be honest, I'm sure his parents we're sending him DVDs <laughs> and VHS tapes of me. Of so he course. Was very or the alternative is Keith Mann, before he entered, said, hey, do you remember him? See right. that fat guy over there? That <laughs> That's magic. But we, we had a good, you know, a mini little conversation, caught up a little bit, and then he sat down, and then I was a part of the, uh, a part of the interview. But I, had, I don't think I'd seen him in 15 to probably at least 15 years. I've never met the guy. Oddly enough, I, as crazy yeah, as right. it is, I've never, I've just somehow never crossed paths with him. Um, it's unfortunate. I'd love to give his biceps a nice little squeeze. You know what I'm saying, Doc? Like every Husker fan, I want to squeeze his biceps. <laughs> he looks felt. I mean, he, he looks. He looked like he'd punch me right in the fizz ace, and I would not recover. It's very true. I'm going to punch you in the face. Like, okay, Scott. And I'm, all right. That's, that's all right. Um, so uh, then he sat down and we and we talked for a little. And by the way, if you go to the Chicken Nick Show Instagram account, which got hacked a couple weeks ago, we restarted under oh. a different. It's called Chick Nick Show. Yeah, we had 150 followers at the time. It was really heartbreaking. We had to shut it down. Cue up, boys to men. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. <laughs> Very true. So we restarted it, and I did post uh, a picture of from Frost and me on the. On the page, and people gotta seem to get a kick out of that. <laughs> uh, one of these is not like the other. I mean, the guys—I'm in great shape. So, of course, you are. So, uh, the interview starts with, and this is just a few minutes. Uh, starts with one of our guys asking, you know, what's the message to the guys? What's the message to your team? And then I'll hop in and and ask a few questions here, and then we'll just react. The guys don't need a message right now. We've had a determined group and a motivated group uh, from the end of last season. Uh, we got the best leadership we've had. There's a whole different feel in our building right now, and I think our guys are going to have an opportunity to capitalize on that. How close is this offense to the 
explosive offense that you wanted to have when you first got here? Well, we haven't been there yet. Um, you know, I think in order to be successful in this league, there's a lot of good defenses, a lot of sound defenses, a lot of good coaches. Um, we've had to have too many long drives in our offense. Um, so we need a few more explosive plays, and we need our explosive plays to finish in the end zone. Uh, apart from that, when you do have to go on some long drives, uh, we have to be better at making sure we don't make mistakes that stop drives ourselves. And uh, that's something our, our players know that we have to fix, and we're working on that as a group. Um, we've lost some close games where it's been one mistake here or there, one turnover here and there. Um, those things get fixed when you're disciplined, and a lot of that discipline and, and fixing the mistakes comes when you're more experienced. Do you spend part of that offseason looking and analyzing, okay, that was a mistake. We started that drive first and 15 because of that false start, had that red zone turnover. Is there common threads or things that you look at and go, okay, how do we, how do we fix those things so we're not shooting ourselves in the foot? Yeah, all the things I've been talking about. And I think one of the keys is making sure the players understand it and understand it clearly. Uh, so we've had some meetings where we showed um, putting ourselves behind the eight ball because of self-inflicted wounds and – uh, whether it's a turnover or a bad play on special teams or giving up a kick return or a penalty to start a drive, uh, those things have hurt us way too often. Uh, there's too many good teams in this league. Um, we're good enough to beat anybody if we don't beat ourselves. Scott Frost joining us. We had a good conversation with Trev Alberts last week just about his job and his role. I wonder, how can a good athletic director help coaches? help a football coach, help a football program, especially one who's familiar with it? What does that look like? Yeah, the number way, one way Trev can help is for us to be a united front, and it's obvious to me after just a few meetings with him that it, he and I are on the same page, uh, and then to clear a path for coaches. Um, if my time spent uh, dealing with with political things or things that big-picture things with the athletic department, then I, I spend less time with my team. And I've had to do a few too many of those things over the first three years. Uh, really excited to have Trev on board. Say no for you type of thing or take care of the responsibilities for you? Yeah, I always used to think when I was playing at Nebraska that so much was taken care of for us that all I had yeah. to do was show up and play. And uh, it helps a, a coach in any sport to feel like the table set, all I have to do is show up and coach. And we have enough to worry about with, uh, we have 155 guys on our roster and uh, full-time coaches and, and issues to deal with on the team and that's where my time needs to be spent. Before we go, your mom, uh, discus record? Yeah, mom was an Olympic discus thrower in 1968 right. uh, in the Mexico City Games and nice. has kept herself in, in really good shape. And um, She just set another record like the other She day. just broke the American record for 75 and over in the shot in discus. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's gravy. Man. What are we He's, even doing? I was going to say, <laughs> we're trying to find a place to go to dinner. Your mother is like, you know, discus record. You guys don't want any piece of her. No, <laughs> I get it. All right, that was a few minutes of nice. the 12 that we spent with Frost. And I selected those uh, for specific reasons. One, because I was asking the questions, but also. So full yourself. He, he gave some really interesting answers. He did. He did. I kind of stole the Thunder Collins by, by going there early, but. Go yeah. ahead. What, what your reaction? Well, no the 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 whole thing of saying I spent more time dealing with political issues and things in the athletic department than I wanted to, and that makes sense when you hear about what things were like day to day with Moose. Like it would make sense that unfortunately, some of the responsibilities, some of the issues, some of the problems, some of the meetings, some of whatever would have ended up at Scott Frost's desks or at, at his desk 
when it should have probably gotten stopped at Bill Moose's desk. And so I thought that was was interesting. But I have other Could, takes, but I wanted to get no, that yeah. one out there. Yeah. It, it's and he said for the first three years, right? Moose hired him. Connect the dots here. Like that's what the first few years, him having to deal with anything of a political nature should not involve and that's not doesn't necessarily mean politics, but just the inner workings oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. of what's right. going on in the athletic administration or maybe football schedules or where do we stand on this? What do we think about this? Or, or you know, I don't know if speaking engagements or things like that, but just things where no one was there to run interference. Scott Frost was probably, you know, you want someone like Bill Moose or Trev Alberts on the front porch to kind of head off. Okay. Oh, okay. You can come in. You can come in and Frost inside. No one was there, right. and it seems like Frost had to take on so many things. And it led me to think about just the jarring nature for Frost and what he must have thought. Because he said when he played, he thought you just showed up and played. Remember, that's the last experience he's had with Nebraska football. Right. Is playing. Mm-hmm. So much has changed in that that nothing can really prepare you for that, especially being the head coach at UCF in Orlando. Right, where you so can you, go to the grocery store and no one knows you. You can do whatever and no one – his Right. Yeah, his wife, his family, you get to live almost in seclusion. You get that privacy. Right. And, and there's no there's no media hounding you unless you're up for a job. or I mean, it's, it's in Orlando. You get to kind of do your thing. Right. Expectations aren't very high. And it's there's no pressure. I mean, it's just it's good. And then you come here, and the responsibilities outside of the lines of football are such that if you don't have a conducive personality, or just you know, it just doesn't fit your nature. Which I'm led to believe, like this job is a little different than maybe Scott Frost anticipated mm-hmm. in terms of the demands. That I think that's why it's so great and comforting probably for him to have a guy like Trev who he can communicate with, who's there on a day-to-day basis. He's already had a few meetings with him. That might be three more meetings than he had with Bill Moose. I I don't know. So Frost kind of struck me as a guy who just wants to, and we always knock Pelini about this, right? Just wants to coach. Let him coach and recruit. He's not built for everything else. He's built for some of it, but he's an an old school guy mm-hmm. that might still be stuck in the college college age of I just want to coach. I right. just want to show up, do my job and do this and anything anyone else can do. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. The last thing you need is more responsibility. Totally agree. And I th- I think that is I mean if you would ask how to how a co- like you said, how does a coach help a or how does an athletic director help a coach? It's that. It's that it's I mean I think it's the same thing for I mean it really Insert any job. How does your boss help you do your job better? They allow you they, – they take things – They allow you to do your job. They allow you to do your job, right? Where you're not having to do other people's jobs or you're not having to have things all of a sudden end up on your plate that aren't necessarily in the definition of what your job is. Because let's be honest, Scott Frost is not a CEO type of no, coach. No, okay? he's, a, he's a football guy. And I know that that term gets thrown out there. A ton, but he is a guy that just wants to, he's, wants to think about football, coach football, and that's it. And much like, you know, Pelini was bombastic and always an, an old school guy who, 
probably doesn't want the media responsibilities and all these things. He just wants to show up and coach. His personality was such that he would fight back and it, it would he'd get so angry at the media he might be okay the next day, but it was just not good. I don't think he was built for this either. It takes a a, a special type of person to be able to handle this big fish, small pond where everything you do is, is analyzed that anything you could do to take that off of his plate, again, is that going to be the difference between winning and losing? I, I don't know, but it does help to have the coach in yeah. a good frame of mind right. because at Nebraska, there's just so much to have to worry about that the less you have to deal with, the better. Yeah. I mean, I think even uh, in a different media session, when Frost was sitting with Dave Revson and Jerry Donardo and those guys, Dave Revson at, basically asked, said, you know, I – Explain kind of – you talk about how it helps to have an athletic director that understands Nebraska. Can you kind of expand on what that really means? And I thought Frost's answer – there's one little part of his answer that was interesting. He said, you have someone that understands the culture and, and the history and its advantages, but it's important to have someone also that understands that you're the only you're, you're the only show in town, and that comes with a fishbowl and criticism. I'm paraphrasing here, but he's, he, he used the word criticism. And I, I think that is something that maybe, I mean, maybe Bill Moose wasn't uniquely suited to understand or how to run interference on or how to help shield or whatever. Trev Alberts understands that. Like, he understands how to make sure that some of that fishbowl and some of the criticism, maybe Trev can step up and deflect some of it, or he can be the one answering some difficult questions or whatever, right? I mean, I'm just throwing it all out there. I just thought, I think when you when you connect the dots of all the different answers from different people over the course of the last month and then culminating in media days, I, I mean, I think I think Trev or Trev's arrival I, I, it seems like that Frost is like, oh, great. This is great. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And, and I don't think there's the looking over the shoulder. I think you got two guys who, you know, Trev may as well have hired Scott Frost. I don't know if he would have picked him, but he might as well have hired him because they're going to be in lockstep. And I like that Trev said, I want him to hold me accountable. I'll hold him accountable. And we're going to do what it takes. The last thing, I don't know if we're moving off of, of this part of the inter, of, of that part of the interview. There's one other thing in the interview that he talked about that, it was, that, that I think is interesting. And that is, you know, he, he talked about discipline things, right? Like the mental mistakes, shooting yourself in the foot, beating yourself, how all that stuff has arguably been the thing that's held them back the most. And... You know, you asked the question of being like, hey, do you show guys, hey, this first and 15, this turnover in the red zone, all those sorts of things. I think certain – I think people don't understand that one of the biggest battles you fight as a coach with young players is young players don't understand and value each possession, each play. Each snap, yeah, I each think you're snap. right. Yeah. Like, I, I think – I can speak to that personally, and I see it now. Young players don't value each play. Or it's easy to be like, okay, you false start. It's like, my bad, coach. My bad. And it's like, well, no, it's not my bad. Like, this, this, like. This is our bad. This is yeah. our bad. And, like, 
I think the more you can get guys to value each play, each possession, the better. And the question is, the secret sauce is, how do you do that? And the the way you do that is you are you have to get across to them that hey, this there's a di- a direct connection to wins and losses. You may think this little holding on the punt return is like ah, it's just a hold, whatever. It's a hold in the first quarter with ten minutes left. Come on, man, uh, th- it's a false start and start of the second half. Come on, who cares? No, when you add all those things up, you you can directly correlate those things to wins and losses. And I think, and Frost talked about this, some of that stuff becomes apparent organically as you get older. Guys like Ben Stilley, JoJo Doman, Cam Taylor Britt, those guys are able to see the value of each possession and the importance of each play because they're just older. But even for some of the younger players in your program, the more you can show them different things and preach different plays and mistakes and how it directly impacts wins and losses, that's how you change behavior. And so it's it's funny. I this week I I, I and it's going to come out next week. So Bo Rude and I watched the 1993 Florida State Nebraska Orange Bowl, the 18 to 16 game. Trev Alberts game. Yeah, Trev sure. Alberts game. He has three sacks and he's a freaking beast in the game. But one of the things we do at the end of that podcast is, hey, what's the legacy of this game? And I think the legacy of that of that game is it it planted the seeds for 94 and 95 to happen because they were able to directly see how mistakes, penalties, focus, discipline impacts winning and losing. That team was a minute and 16 seconds away from winning a national championship, but they, their lack of focus, lack of discipline, and a few penalties cost them the national championship. And so I think there's a it's just there's so many interesting parallels with Trev's arrival, what he did in 93, what's going on with the program now, because you could argue that Trev's departure from the program helped the, those guys that were still there, like they saw how some of those issues and discipline stuff in 93 held them back, and then you saw what happened in 94 and 95, and I think above everything else, yes, is there a talent issue at Nebraska? Yes. Like, the NFL draft picks, like, point that out, right? The all-conference selections point that out. But as much as anything, the thing that needs to get corrected first is the discipline stuff, and if that doesn't get corrected, all this other stuff isn't going to matter. It's like what Trev said about the minuscule things, the granular things, the championship habits, the the minor fundamental things that if you don't take care of those, it just multiplies itself into uh, into what we've seen. Right. And to your point, there were three things that he said, and he kept coming back to them. But he said, we've had too many long drives, okay? We've given up too many kick returns. And he mentioned the importance of special teams. Tom Osborne always emphasized hidden yardage, yep. right? Hidden yardage. This offense has not been built, and maybe it will be this year, but this offense is not built for these long drives without explosive plays because the more plays you run, the more likely you are to make a mistake. And that is what has happened all right. the time, right. uh, especially last season. And I saw this stat. stat I think Hal Varsity had it. Nebraska's offense had the third worst average starting field position in all of football last year. Mm. Third worst starting field position. And you combine that with 
lack of big plays. That's it. And you're you're not going to win. Right. You're, you're not, not built you're, to overcome it, this offense as it's currently constructed is not built to overcome that stat or penalties or whatever. In 2021 or 2020, however you want to look at it, offenses have to score. They have to be explosive because defenses cannot withstand them throughout all of college football. Maybe the Big Ten's a little bit different, but you've got to be able to hit a minimum of 30 every game. You just you just have right. to right. in order to win games, and you got to get explosive offenses. So that's kind of, it was kind of tied into that first question, how close is this offense? Like, well, we haven't seen it yet. And again, that's very surprising. You hope that because of the, some of these super seniors that they have and all this that and some of the transfers that that will change yes. here this year. Uh, quickly about leadership, he had this to say about leadership. From a personnel standpoint, when you're trying to turn turn a team over and turn a roster over, uh, that's kind of inevitably led us to led us to being young three years in a row. Uh, we're still going to be a little young this year, but we're going to be a lot more experienced. And, and getting some super seniors back certainly helps that. Uh, we're going to be more experienced on the front line, on the D line, uh, at quarterback, at tight end, uh, in the defensive backfield. And we're going to lean on those leaders pretty heavily. This is why this year is such a great case study in how good of a coach Scott Frost is. The leadership box, or at least the experience box, mm-hmm. is going to be checked this year. Mm-hmm. And, and he has said that. And you look at the numbers and the number of guys that have come back and the, the free year of eligibility, all, all of those things. There's experience in the system now. These are not only his guys, but it, and if they're not, they're at least guys that have a lot of experience in college football. And if this year they don't clean up some of those things, then there's something systemic yes. going on that needs to really be examined. Yeah, because I agree. Like some some cynical frost people right now might hear that and roll their eyes. Like, listen, they haven't they have been young for. They haven't had an old team yet. Like that's it can, kinda, it can be an excuse and a fact at yeah, the same time. Right. But I, I, I saw something that that was, you know, up on the screen on Big Ten Network that Nebraska returns seventy four percent of its production. It's a lot. Like Northwestern's returning thirty nine. Like that's a lot. And I'm totally with you. Like a lot of those excuses, reasons or whatever that XYZ hasn't happened are a little bit eliminated when you have this experienced of a group, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball or, I mean, you have, I mean, is Cam Jerry, this is his third year starting. Like, you got a third-year guy at, at center. You got a four-year starter at quarterback. Like, Austin Allen has played a lot of football for you. Like, even on the, while you're young at, at running back and wide receiver, you do have certain guys that have played a lot of football, even on the offensive side of things. So, there's there's no question that all the things that we're talking about are gonna are are super important, but that experience thing, that experience in an older team is is how you would describe this Nebraska team, and so you would think because of that 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 comes with maybe cleaning up a lot of the the little mistakes and and whatnot that you see playing cleaner football. Yeah, it's really I, I think this season is going to be defined by how clean of a of a brand of football this team can play and if you get beat by a better team fine but by my accounts and i'll i'll argue this they've got a top three quarterback in the big 10 i think cj stroud is going to be outstanding i really do at ohio state i think whoever you put there is going to be really good but 
you you can even make an argument. Again, this is based on potential and what you saw in his freshman year, not what you've seen the last two years. But A.J. Martinez has that potential to be the second-best quarterback in this league. Right. And, and I don't – and if it doesn't happen or if he's not even a top-five quarterback in this league, it's going to be a long season. Here's Frost, what he told us on Martinez. Well, I, I've tried to walk him through it. I've walked in his shoes, and I've said this a few times today, but – uh, Adrian had an unbelievable freshman year, and he experienced all the highs of having the spotlight on him in Nebraska. Um, second year didn't go as well as any of us wanted. Uh, part of that was him. Part of that was the pieces around him. I think he experienced some pretty low lows at that point. Uh, this is the best place that I've seen him in. I think he's comfortable with his role. I think he's comfortable with the spotlight, comfortable with who he is, comfortable in his own skin. He's being a good leader for us. and. Uh, I think he's more prepared at this point to go out and perform well than he has been since he's been at Nebraska. Again, you hear a lot of the, hey, everything's good, we're feeling good. It needs to, that that statement needs to be a fact right. about, about Adrian Martinez because you know what he's got from the neck down. I think the problem has been what's going on from the neck up with him and and the the error nature that he that he has in some of these big moments or these fumbles turning the ball over uh, and some of the hesitancy especially on the long plays I just wonder what that looks like this year yeah I mean because it is he's had a he's had a fascinating career so far and we've had a thousand Martinez conversations but like you just go year to year it's like okay he's a freshman he's young sometimes ignorance is bliss like sometimes you don't what you don't know helps you then sophomore year, he gets, you know, he's got the weight of the world in his shoulders. He's, he's got a ton of pressure on him. He struggles. Junior year, you wonder how much he was maybe pseudo looking over his shoulder at this young buck, Luke McCaffrey, kind of nipping at his heels, which sometimes that kind of thing can, can push you to the good. It can, it can push you to the bad. I also think in hindsight now, him getting pulled in that Northwestern game looks a little funny because you didn't realize at the time when he got pulled that, hey, this is going to be one of like the five best defenses in all of college football, right? Like, and now as a senior, you feel like he should feel as good as he's felt in terms of being comfortable that this is his team, this is his job. He's, as Frost pointed out, he's seen the, the, the highs, he's seen the lows, he feels good physically. Like, whatever best, whatever, ver- whatever of the best version of Adrian there is in there, you would think is probably going to come out, not with, albeit you still don't know what the weapons are going to look like around him, but at least for him personally, he should be the best version of himself right now. And isn't it fitting that his first game comes against a team that he came in late against where the game was over and the game that started the transition back to Adrian Martinez, right. Illinois. Right. I mean, there, there, there is some kind of, I don't know, you try and write the story, some sort of storybook of, hey, you didn't even start against Illinois last year, and now you come in and what? What's the story that he's going to write? Um, I, I want to play... Uh, some of the players' stuff, but here's Austin Allen. We talked to him. Here's what he had to say. I asked him about Adrian Martinez and what he sees. We're going to see the best version of Adrian. I mean, just talking with him, he's told me he's got nothing to lose this year. I mean, he's had a couple down years, so to say. He's pretty open about that. He had a great freshman year and then a couple down years, and he said he's got nothing to lose. He's going to lay it all on the field for Nebraska, and I think that's just kind of um, the way Adrian is. He's going to give it all for this, the Nebraska because Nebraska's giving it all to him. He's going to give it all back. I mean, 
Yeah. Goodness. I, I really wish they had brought Adrian. I understand why they didn't. Right. I, I think the only Big Ten only brought a few quarterbacks this year. But, yeah, it's uh, the confidence everyone has in him. We'll see what it looks like uh, this season. But every everyone's saying the right things about it. I this. agree. And, by the way, if you're wondering, why didn't they bring Adrian? Frost, Frost said that this was the last week, the last kind of free week they had before camp gets rolling. Adrian wanted to go home to see his family. He let him go home. Uh, so that that's why he wasn't in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Days. But I, I'm with you, man. I mean, we, we can talk about a lot of – sure, there are a million different factors that that lead to whether or not Nebraska is going to have a good year or not. I mean, we could spend an hour going over all of them. But ultimately, if, ne- if Adrian Martinez doesn't have a good year, Nebraska's not going to have a good year. Right, and you could say that about ninety nine point nine percent of quarterbacks and how they're tied to success. But I mean, he's a he's by far the most fascinating player on the roster on a variety of levels. The margin of error is so slim with this team that you can't have any of that error be attributed to the quarterback. That's right. right? You just that's right. <laughs> you just can't. Quickly, I want to I want to play this. I uh, got to sit with Ben Stilley, Austin Allen, Deontay Williams, who were there at Big Ten Media Days. And here's the conversation here. And, and there's a little bit about how, how expectations and living in the fishbowl and all those types of things. Here's the first question that I asked these uh, Nebraska players. We've talked to some teams about the chip on the shoulder. And you guys know the success that is expected of you, especially locally, locally there at, at Nebraska. What's your mentality, Ben, going into this season, knowing what expectations are? Yeah, for sure. Um, expectations have always always been high, um, especially at Nebraska, um, and, and obviously of our of ourselves as well. So um, we're definitely excited. Um, I think uh, defensive wise, um, we're really focusing on focusing on just improving consistency wise. Um, you know, from top to bottom, um, playing complete games, um, and, and really, um, you know, trying to improve in that area. Awesome. Think, yeah, I think we understand that nothing's going to be given to us. We got to go out and earn everything. That we want, and we gotta get, we gotta go out and play. That we demand respect. Like we gotta, we gotta prove ourselves in the Big Ten. We haven't really done much in the last three years, and we gotta go out and take it. Yeah, I'm gonna keep it real short. Just actions speak louder than words. So we don't have really much to say about that. So it is what it is. Deontay, getting to the defensive side of that football, Mm -hmm. you guys made some big strides last year. I know there's high expectations there. What have you seen from this defensive group? in the off season that gives you confidence going into this year? Uh, since the year started, our mentality been different. We've been trying to attack workouts, you know, seven on seven, whatever it is what it is. Um, we've been just really bonding with each other because we played with each other for three years. So, and then 10 returning starters. So it just, just to grow with each other. Uh, it just improved just from last year. Ben, I mean, you feel that same way, Cam Taylor Britt, everybody collectively, that this could be a special year defensively? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, guys been in the system for a while. Um, young guys are getting a chance to develop. And, uh, yeah, like you said, um, especially some of us, us older guys, um, we've been through a lot at Nebraska together, um, been together for a long time. And just that bond, um, you know, that, that shared adversity has really created a bond for us. What is it like to play in a place where you are the biggest show Everyone wants to know what you guys are eating for lunch, let alone how you're playing the next day. Just the attention, the microscope, big fish, little pond. How would you describe what that is like, Ben? 
Yeah, um, I think the media market just uh, in in Lincoln and in Nebraska is definitely um, as big as um, a lot of places will go uh, future wise. Um, and so, um, just having that, um, I guess, all that attention on us, it's, there's advantages, disadvantages to it. Um, and so, you know, you just got to be able to um, use those advantages to to help you, and um, you know, stay away from the disadvantages of it. Austin, yeah. I- like Ben said, it's kind of the pros and cons. And I think the biggest pro for us in the next coming years is the NIL. And I think the way Nebraska fans love their football, I think they're going to treat their football players right in, the, in this name, image, and likeness stuff. So um, like he said, we're, we're the biggest show in Nebraska. There's no NFL, NBA. There's nothing. It's Nebraska football, and that's all we got. But it does have its cons, too, because, I mean, there's no, no sugar cane, sugarcoating it. We've had a rough couple of years, and they let us know on social media, <laughs> and, and they let us know. Uh, not necessarily in person because everybody can be as big as they want on, <laughs> right. on Twitter. Right. Um, but, yeah, it, it's got its pros and cons. Deontay? Um, I, I haven't felt much as much as important as I came to Nebraska as a football player. Um, Nebraska always gave me a family environment. Um, they always um, – stuff like you're yeah, winning or losing, you know you still going to have them, them fans going to have your back regardless of the facts, so – Austin, you were a part of the search committee for the athletic director and Trev Alberts. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was – Frost approached me, asked me if I wanted to be on the search committee. He wanted a student-athlete representative on the committee, and I said, sure, not expecting much of it. And then I go in this room, and I see Nadam Kinsu on a Zoom call, and I see Eric Crouch across from me, and I got the <laughs> Chancellor University down the table. It was a little intimidating at first, not going to lie, but I think they valued what I had to say because I had been in this university for four years now, and I – um, they valued what I think or what they thought I wanted to see changed in the university, and they, they valued what everybody else in the room had to say too. But it, they, I think they wanted a student-athlete voice, and that was kind of the reason why I was in there. But it was a great experience, and it's going to look great on a resume. So they, <laughs> <laughs> I helped select Trev Albert. Yeah. I worked in Nebraska. I covered this team for many years. My wife's from Lincoln. Yeah. So when I think of NIL, I first think of food. So uh, I give you Runza or I give you Valentino's. Where are we going then? Like, to me, it's, I mean, I know they're different, but where, where are you siding there? Like, what's the, what's the food of choice? Depends on how hungry I am, because I don't think anything beats a Valentino's buffet. Yes. Um, yes. But if I'm feeling a little greasier, I'm going to Runza for sure. <laughs> nothing beats, nothing beats a cheese Runza with ranch, in my opinion. All right. It's good. The fries are I great. I love the fries with ranch, oh. though. <laughs> Yeah, oh, those are good. Ben, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a lineman, so I, I like the the quantity option. Uh, no, no restrictions there. So uh, Valentino's is the go. All right, so uh, season opener against Illinois. I know that's the, the focus right now is just getting better, and, and your, your game plan as you get forward. But can you quantify the importance of Week One, knowing what you guys want to accomplish here, Austin? Yeah, I think. The week, the first game is the most important every year. I think going back to the very first game Frost was here with Akron, I don't think I've ever felt that stadium that electric, electrified ever. And uh, you saw, just saw the kickoff, kickoff. the yeah. kickoff, right? <laughs> I honestly That's think it. if we had that game and, uh, and 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 win that game, that whole season would have been a little different, just because the the mentality going into that first game and the, like the energy that was there is, um, I think would have kickstarted this whole this whole era. But um. That, like I said, that first game is important, and we're going to do everything in our power this fall camp to prepare for Illinois um, week one. Ben? Yeah, definitely it's a tone setter, I think, for the entire season. Um, winning is contagious, um, and, and getting off on the, on the right note there is, is definitely something to, um, you know, take a, lot of, take a lot of stock in. And so, um, yeah, it'll definitely be important for us to, to get started off on the right note 
um, and get some, some wins under our belt early. No trip to Ireland, but you get an all-expenses-paid trip to Champaign, <laughs> Illinois. So uh, enjoy that, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, and best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. The the importance of that first game can't be overstated. We did the kind of drill about a month ago. What's the most important yeah. game? And uh, we both blurted out. I blurted out Illinois. You blurted out Iowa for understandable reasons. Right. But nevertheless, it's it's but, Illinois. Like, yeah. it is. And the one thing I will say, Barrett Rude has been consistent in saying one thing, whether it's been to me privately or even publicly. He has said... We need to get these guys to believe. We need to get them rolling. We need to stock. We need to stack wins. We need to get these guys to see success on Saturdays. In you know, in in so they believe in what we're doing, because I do believe uh, that winning is contagious, and that is something that just hasn't been able to that that spark has never been able to really get lit up. Do you realize Nebraska's not won? Three games in a row since Frost has arrived here, they've their biggest. Did it even happen like the last year, Riley? Like how long's it been? You're right. I don't. I mean, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, it, there's a chance this team has not. These guys have never won three games in a row, and I'm telling you, that stuff matters, especially when you're trying to kind of get it rolling. Is just the confidence, and so yeah, we can. There's a whole bunch of sliding doors moments of like what ifs, but I do believe I was in the building. I was in the West Balcony for that Akron game. That place was ready to explode. And who knows if that game gets played, what happens? Who knows what happens if Nebraska finds a way to hold to to hold on and win at Colorado in 2019, right? Like, who knows? And so many of these little moments, fork in the road moments have gone the wrong way for Nebraska. And the and the the biggest thing in going for the right way for Nebraska is not only is it just a W in the wins and loss columns, but it allows for momentum to start. This program has just never been able to get off to, you know, get any sort of momentum at all. And let's be honest, if you win if you beat Illinois, you're likely going to be three and oh heading to Oklahoma. Do you know Nebraska what they started in 2016? Seven and zero. Oh. I mean, that's the last time they won three games in a row, right? Seven and zero, oh. right? And then it was all downhill. They went from lost there in after. OT at Wisconsin. That's then right. the next week they get their doors blown off at Ohio State, and seemingly everything falls apart. Like from yeah. that, literally from the from that from the end of that Wisconsin game till now, everything that can go wrong has gone way wrong. For, for this program in terms of it, it's achieving any semblance of momentum at all. And so, yeah, it's but it all starts with that Illinois game. You go win that Illinois game, I think you then are going to beat Fordham, beat Buffalo. You've won three games in a row. There's, it's just it's massively important. And I'm, I'm nervous about the Illinois game for a multitude of reasons. One, because of Bielema, you don't know what they're going to do. But the other thing, too, is – that's a really experienced team. Yeah. With Illinois. They have 22 super seniors. Man. That leads the NCAA. And you talk about in the trenches. I talked to Vidarian Lowe, uh, offensive tackle, Doug Kramer, who's the top 10 center, according to Mel Kuyper, going into the next year's draft. Owen Carney there on the, on the senior defensive front. Those three guys were there for a reason. In the trenches, it's going to be a big challenge. 
for Nebraska. And I think not only is it important to win, but you're also going to really get a gauge on how they do up front yeah. this year because they got manhandled up front by that Illinois team, and a lot of those guys are back. Yes. And, and Brandon Peters, this was interesting, too, in talking to Brett Bielema, he knew walking in, he could tell there, there was something from the neck up about Brandon Peters. And, you know, when you go back to his Michigan days, I don't know how much Michigan really helped Brandon Peters. Like, he was a, it was a confidence issue with Brandon Peters. What did they do with Brandon Peters here? They, they found a way, and they got him to the, pa- the Manning Passing Academy this offseason. He's been working out. He's been working with extra side help. And from the neck up, he seems to be a different guy. Right. And he still played well against Nebraska last year. So there's a lot of things going into that game that get you concerned. And I think if, if you win that game, you can get at least seven. If you lose that game, you're maxing out at six. I, I really think that's what this season is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, that game might as well be the Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, I know that's uh, it. Just it might as well be the Super Bowl for for Nebraska. Well, let's hope you don't want to fast forward the game and get to the commercials. Yeah, how dare you? Can I? Can I? You before we say goodbye, can I use you as a therapist real quick? The Chicken Nick Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dundee Bank. From uh, personal checking to personal savings, money market, health savings accounts, consumer lending, whether it's personal, business, uh, having to deal with mortgage issues, they've got everything you need you can contact them call email even stop by and say hello and they even say hey you stop by grab an apple i mean they've, they've got apples there and they, they can huge do apple that. fan speaking of apples it's a sweet deal go to dundee bank dundeebanking.com uh, for all of the latest and everything they can do uh, switch to dundee bank they've got uh, rewards for you uh, we mentioned if you open up a checking account there uh, they'll give you some free money as well yeah, they're going to also, if you open up a, an account at Dundee Bank, they're going to donate to 10 bucks to a local nonprofit, and that's just it. They're just entrenched in the local community. Nearly 100% of the deposits at Dundee Bank are filtered back into the community through loans that support local individuals, businesses, neighborhood revitalizations, and that's just it. Dundee Bank is not just a bank. They're trying to together build up a strong community with foundations that boost the economy, strengthen small businesses. It's what you need to check out at DundeeBanking.com. And one of the great things about it, too, you always get these fees at some other banks. Uh, this one, you open a personal checking. There's no minimum balance that you need to have. There's no monthly fees. Uh, check them out. They've got everything that you need. If you have some questions or you want to talk to a banker, you can call or email them as well. At Dundee, it's 402-504-4000 or in Blackstone, 402-932-7755. DundeeBanking.com. Dundee Bank, member FDIC. Quick time out from this award-winning podcast to talk about Revolution Raps. You know, I saw something, Schick, last week at my daughter's t-ball game that almost uh, almost brought a tear to my eye. And no, it was not uh, Mava hitting home run. Uh, error-free baseball? It was not error-free baseball. It was not Capri Suns and Gushers after the game. I saw a Revolution Raps car in the parking lot, and I almost fell over with excitement. But that's the beauty of Revolution Raps, Chick, is even when you are walking around at your kid's sporting event on a Sunday afternoon, guess what? You're able to get your brand out at all times. Hey, recruiting never sleeps. You know what else never sleeps? Advertising never sleeps. And that's what you can get with Revolution Wraps with a vehicle wrap. Make it happen. 
I thought that tie-in between recruiting and Revolution Raps and branding uh, was a big stretch, but Maybe. I thought it was well done. You know what else they could do? Uh, stretch your graphics all around your vehicle. <laughs> you always drive down the road and go, oh, that'd be a great place for a billboard. That would be. What a great place. There's so much high traffic there. You know what? How about you have the billboard on the traffic? In your car, yes. on your car. I mean, that's the way. Take it, take it with you. Take there the billboard of, with you. Take your billboard with you. There are BYOB. <laughs> there are a lot of testimonials on revolutionraps.com. Uh, I won't mention the company, but there's one testimonial that says, Our rap looks fabulous. We absolutely love it. Thanks again for all you did for us. It totally gave our truck the wow factor we were looking for. And by the way, there's like seven exclamation points in that review. Another one said, Revolution Raps was head and shoulders above the competition. We're very pleased with the work we had done, and we will continue to have our vehicles wrapped by then. So it's a great place to, to get it done. And for 20% off your next project, just go to revolutionraps.com backslash Schick and Nick. That's revolutionraps.com backslash Schick and Nick. Or mention this ad when you holler at Revolution Raps. Revolution Raps, start something big. Okay. Did you want to do any Big 12? Yes, uh, that's what I want okay. to do. I want to okay, do some expansion yeah, stuff. Because yeah, I've literally not talked about this to anybody. Somehow okay. I just have not talked about this to anyone, right? right. Oddly enough, my five-year-old daughter and my one-year-old son don't want to talk about this. <laughs> Okay, let me preface everything with this. Like, I'm still trying to get my arms around this thing, and I, I think we all need to allow ourselves some grace for arriving at a different opinion when different facts come out or when the dust all settles, right? Sometimes you can hate something on its head and then actually be like, oh, that actually was ended up being great or whatever. I think the first thing I was thinking about this week is like outside of the schools, and you and I have actually talked about this, outside of the schools that went up a level in conferences, i.e. Creighton to the Big East, TCU to the Big 12, I think you could argue that all conference realignment has been bad. I, if, that was, if, yeah. if that was my thesis, like you could argue all conference realignment has, has been bad. Bad for the schools? For the schools and the conferences. Okay, so... Who did you say it was good for? Creighton. Okay. TCU. Okay. I Maybe West Virginia. Maybe. I'd say Texas A&M without question. I guess, but like... Only because they're, if you look at the number of blue chip prospects and the portion of them that have gone in the state of Texas to A&M, that number has gone up. Okay, yeah. Finished right. top five last year. Like, they're, they're okay, trending. Give, it might have taken a little farther, longer, but they're Okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you them. I, I, and, that, and that makes sense. Because they were you, always living in Texas's shadow. In the right. Can you, can you name another school that you really feel like, oh, boy, since they went to Colorado, your you're, you're alma mater, eh? Missouri, they feel like they're just like floating in purgatory right. of something. Like, Rutgers is up against it. Maryland. Maryland and, no, you know, you, just, you go on and on. I'm like, name, name the school that is just unequivocally better, and then name the conference that is unequivocally better. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you can. Yeah, I I think and maybe it's it coincides with the SEC network. You know, the Big Twelve was arguably better than the SEC before realignment. In terms of, I mean, they were in a half for over a ten year stretch. They were in six or seven national championship games. Right. Right. So right. the I think the SEC has gotten better because of that of the network, the money. 
and you know, population drift and all that stuff. But but I think that was going to happen anyway. But I think it's been dramatic since and, then. And I'm only focusing on a. I'm not talking about research dollars and and TV money. Like, of course, yes. Like that's why people made these decisions in the first place. I'm talking about what is happening from a pure sports standpoint. What's happening on Saturdays? Wins and losses, all that stuff. So I think I think it's important to first say that. Like it's funny to me how we all like, ooh, realignment, here we go. It's like it sucked. It has sucked for the most part. If we're being honest, like it has not really improved anything with with college sports, in my opinion. Outside of, again, Creighton to the Big East, it's totally changed everything. Like, yes, it's been amazing for someone like Creighton. So my gut reaction is for this Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, all this stuff, I think it's bad for college sports because to me it could be the first domino for massive change that could legitimately ruin some conferences and some programs because I'm sitting there going, I'm not sure what the end game is necessarily here for the SEC because it's like, sure, could it ultimately net them a bigger paycheck? Yeah, but, but is that it? Like, is there another step to this thing? Are they going to completely break away from the NCAA? Are they going to break away from the group of five? Are they trying to create their own little super league? Because on that front, I can get the argument that it is kind of silly for Alabama and East Carolina to be technically in the same sport. Because let's be honest, they're not playing the same sport when you look at resources, talent, all those sorts of things. But depending on what the end game is, I do worry about the ramifications to the sport as a whole and the individual institutions that we're talking about. Because, I don't know, in in the pursuit of a bigger paycheck, they could, they being the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma, could cripple other conferences and other athletic programs, which crushes or greatly alters opportunities for thousands and thousands of players and coaches across college sports. And as Schick, we've saw with the pandemic, then that there, there's a domino effect that goes back to certain local econ- economies that are tied to these sports. And I just, people always say sports are a reflection of life, right? That's, that's one thing people always, you know, there are so many life lessons in sports. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Is everyone acting completely in their own self-interest a good thing? Is, is everyone chasing the biggest payday regardless of who gets hurt in the pursuit of that massive paycheck, is that a good thing? I tend to think that it's not. But here is where I'm a total hypocrite. A total hypocrite. If this winds up landing Kansas in the Big Ten, guess who that helps a ton? You. Me. So I'm sitting there fuming, like, man, this sucks. Then I see a, you know, who knows if this story's legit, like Kansas potentially. I know you talked to Kevin Warren that they haven't had any calls or whatever, but like Kansas, the Big Ten, I go, oh my God, it would help my standing in the Big Ten. It would help my standing in with Fox because now I would have played at a school in the Big Ten. You're a Big Ten alum. I'm a Big Ten alum. At this point, I'm not. And I still think, not to let people into my problems, but like, I still think the biggest hurdle I have to overcome for like the Big Ten network wanting to use me more is like this guy didn't play at a Big Ten school. Right. In fact, he played at a rival of a Big Ten school, <laughs> right? So this is where I'm a hypocrite where like, well, if it if it benefits me, then I love it. But on the whole, I think it's there there are there are massive issues with it. Again, and allow me 
the grace to arrive at a different opinion once all this new stuff comes out potentially. But that's my my just gut reaction to it is that. No, I agree. I There are a lot of things about this that don't make you feel good. And I think there are a lot of people hesitant to knock it because of ESPN's involvement sure. um, in this as well. This is like, to me, it reminds me of when LeBron went to Miami. Mm-hmm where you thought, okay, they're just going to win seven or eight titles. Now, they didn't, but it made you have this disdain for LeBron if you didn't love him because of the choice that he made. Uh, I think that's a super team. This It's going to be the same thing with this super league if Texas and Oklahoma join, which is the SEC becomes very unlikable in this because they've got all the riches. They are a Ohio State and Clemson away from just owning the sport, right? Completely. I mean, think think about that. Or USC, if you yeah. want to go there, Oregon, whatever. No, but, but honestly, the, those are the big two. If the, if somehow it. Ohio State and Clemson would end up in the SEC, I mean, what are we doing? What, what do we have left? There are a few things that struck me immediately. One was, as soon as it was announced, I thought to myself, ah, now it makes sense that Greg Sankey pushed for playoff expansion. Because the SEC was always okay with four and pushing for four. And then over the last six to 12 months, you've heard kind of a shift of, you know what? And Sankey, I think, was on the working group. Was he not? Like with Bulls? I I think so. Think about that for a minute. On the working group together about playoff expansion when behind the scenes, you're going to take their two potential playoff teams. That's cold-blooded. I mean, mean, that's that's, that's almost sinister, right? It makes you feel like, oh my goodness, these guys, no wonder these conferences weren't in lockstep last year for the pandemic. They're all looking out for themselves, which I understand. But to your point, what makes college football so great is my conference is better than your conference and the bowl games and the the rivalries. The the rivalries, yeah, yeah, and... So much of that has been lost, and I heard I heard uh, Herb Street say, "Hey, you know, we can be upset about all this, but we better be embracing this new reality." Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, yeah, like, but I think it's okay to be ticked off that the SEC is doing this. And you're right about the mixed emotions of it and what it means for you. Like my buddy Dari Noka is about to become an SEC alum. Right, right. Think about his that. Te- his team, Oklahoma, is about to join the SEC if that happens. And I I just feel for if you're Nebraska you're feeling oh my god thank God like this yeah yeah like we're like, out of wow. this because that right. would have been a disaster they would have been left blowing in the wind especially if their football program was as unsuccessful as it's been right but uh, you feel for the Iowa States the Kansas States Oakey even State. the Kansas Baylor all the Texas yeah. Tech like what what's going to happen there and what do these what do super conferences Look well, like, and then what do super conferences mean for the group of five? Yeah, what, I mean, you know I, what? I ha- think- and then, and then I can't. I'm a basketball guy. What yeah. happens to the NCAA tournament? What happens to college basketball? This is the thing. Being a basketball lover, that scares me. Football is driving all of these decisions, and in in one of the one of the ramifications to that could be college basketball gets just greatly altered to a point where you go, well, what is this? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I. It's a it's a challenge because yeah, you're only as sometimes you're only as good as your schedule, and what happens when 
Texas and Oklahoma aren't in the Big 12 anymore in a myriad of sports. Right. What hap- you know, college baseball. What happens for the Big 12 teams? What do they do? The, the, the eight teams left. Yeah, what do they do? What, and, do, they, do they try to get do, AAC teams and keep the Big 12 alive? Do they, who's got more strength right now, the AAC or the, the remaining right? eight in the Big 12? I don't know. Yeah, do... do I, I've read a story. Oh, they're going to merge with the Pac-12. Okay, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, but I don't know if everybody's buddying up. You probably got to find a buddy, you know, like, and yeah, and, and so and for the Big Ten, the Big Ten, the knee jerk is, oh, you got to go to sixteen. Uh, I, the last thing you want to do is not only be reactionary and feel like you have to do something, but also dilute the talent for the sake of quantity. And this is all about. Football, recruiting, and revenue. Mm-hmm. Like those three things. TV footprints and all that. That's why the Kansas thing to me, it would be purely a basketball play. Me like it! And you, and you like it. And to help with the continuous states with Nebraska and Kansas. And it would... Sure. It, know, fits, to, to, it fits in the footprint and it helps a ton in basketball. But sure. let's be honest, does it, football... Does it get you into the Kansas City market? Like, I, I mean, I guess. There's a bunch right. of K, KU fans there, but what is that... What does that do for you? I don't know. I think if you're if you're the Big Ten, the only moves I'm making, you can have conversation. To me, you're having conversations in the state of Texas because you you really need to get in that footprint. Mm-hmm. The state of Texas, you're not going to get into Florida, I don't think, unless Florida State says, hey. Because back in the day, by the way, it was Florida State and Maryland that voted against increasing the exit fee in the in the ACC, and, uh, that was about you know ten years ago or so, and a lot's happened since then. But Maryland left, and Florida State obviously hasn't. But I, I don't think you go down there. I think the academic issues are going to be tough to add a lot of teams. But my knee jerk is you go for broke, and you go, you know what? Let's go to LA. Let's talk to USC right. because. If you're looking at another conference where it's kind of being held back, and not like USC is this great team, but the potential is enormous, and to get in that market, if that's what this is all about, right? brands, academic fits, and TV markets and revenue, you make a call to USC, and maybe UCLA has to tag along. I don't know how that works, but if... Apologies to the Big Ten bus tour with Dave Rebson. Ah, can you imagine? <laughs> you know, That's funny. Having to drive on the Rockies. I just I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the knee-jerk reaction is. And like you said, I talked to Kevin Warren, and he said it's going to be a methodical approach. We need to know what it looks like from an academic standpoint, an athletic competition standpoint, TV revenue and, and TV footprint and markets and all of those types of things. Um, but I don't the, know, man. I just – it's just – I'm with this, you. It's this... not good for college sports but you can see where it's going. NIL is here. Pay for play is probably right around the corner. That's right, yeah. The college football playoff expansion increasing this to billions of dollars. The pie's going to get bigger. And Texas and Oklahoma are obviously like, you know what? We want a bigger part of the pie. And the scary thing is, if you're not an SEC fan, get ready for six to seven teams in that 12 team playoff. Exa- it becomes it. the SEC invite. And, and I think some of this is that, you know, just a, a window into human psychology, whenever there is massive change, let's be honest, sometimes your default reaction to it is to, is to not like it. Right. So some of that is this, again, I am willingly saying out loud, like I, I'm just, this is my gut reaction. Things can change depending on how this all shakes out. Because I, I also, 
can understand, Chick, how there could be, if Oklahoma and Texas are listening to this, they could go, listen, it's not our job. Why is it our job to prop up Kansas State and Iowa State? Why is it our job to keep the lights on for the Big 12 Conference? How are we burdened with that? And to that I go, good point. I mean, good point. Like, I understand that. But, again, there I just think – Depending like on Ohio, sh- Ohio State's propping up Purdue football. Yeah, I mean Ohio State might go why, propping why are, up Rutgers. Why, why are why are we propping up Rutgers football? And you go, yeah, I don't know why. Since when is that Ohio State's job? You know, and or what? Since when is that Texas and Oklahoma's job? And I just again, I think the consequences to this move could be devastating for some people and for some some institutions and some conferences. And man, could it create. I guess the last thing I'll ask you, because you feel like you're you're smarter than me with some of this stuff. What does all this now look like? Because the grant of rights or whatever, the, the I, I don't see how the big, I mean, it was awkward enough for Nebraska to stay in the Big 12 for one season when they were going to leave after one year. I Technically, it would be a $70 million exit fee or whatever it is, or they yeah. would owe $70 million if they would do this prior to 2024, I think it is, or whatever the year is. Yeah, Are right. you telling me they're going to play three full seasons or whatever before? Like, what's going to happen now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And my guess is they, the Big 12 would hold their feet to the fire for that because those teams and those those programs are going to need t- that kind of time to – I mean. This is a lot of moving and tectonic plates that are shifting that you're going to need time to do that. That would be my guess, but maybe there's some massaging of this where if the other leagues, where if the other programs say, hey, we're, let's end this as soon as possible, maybe they come to some sort of agreement with the exit fee. My guess is they're going to make them pay if they want to leave, and that's what I would do. But you're right. It was one bad year for Nebraska. What does it look like for three years I, I or just, whatever? These things. Plus, you've got these television rights deals that are ending in 2023, 2024, 2025. So things need to be renegotiated if you leave early. And I, I don't know what the, the stomach is for that. So my, my guess, my best guess would be, yeah, when the announcement comes out, they'll say 2025 unless an agreement can be reached sooner because the playoff is going to expand at that time, Yeah, I believe, anyway. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know, to yeah, everybody, like, just because something's interesting to talk about means it, that doesn't mean it's good. Just because something is interesting to talk about does not mean it's good for the sport. That's how I view a lot of conference realignment. It's how I view a lot of this stuff. It's how I even view the playoff NBA. controversies. Like, playoff hey, controversies we're having fun. Like, yeah. who's in, like, who's out? Yeah, that doesn't mean, like, four teams is good. I mean, again, I'm, it's how I, how I view the NBA now. Like, the, the yeah, is it interesting to talk about, oh, Kawhi going here and LeBron getting this guy and then this, this star going with that guy? And that, like, yeah, that stuff's interesting to talk about. But that doesn't mean it's good for the sport. I could argue that it's bad for the sport. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am. Uh, I have, I have certainly been consuming things the the last handful of days, and it's amazing how fast this story's moved. But color me really, really concerned about everything right now. But we'll see how it all shakes out. And if Kansas is a Big Ten, and I get a better situation for my broadcasting career, then I love it. Then I love I, it. I was really hoping Colorado would join the Big Ten too. Hey, because then I become a Big Ten alum, and hey, chick, let's push for that. Let's me and you get on the front lines. Big Ten expansion, could, Kansas look, and Colorado. If I'm Nebraska, I go. You know what? Give me Colorado and Kansas. Yeah. Let's get back together. Yeah. 
Continuous states, it fits. You get the Denver market. That's it. Which, let's be honest, every Colorado Buffaloes game, there's nothing to do in Denver. That's all they watch. Okay? The identity of the state of Colorado is defined by how good the Buffs do day in, day out, That's from basketball it. to baseball, which doesn't exist, and football. That's it. That's it. The obvious answer is Jayhawks, Buffaloes, Big Ten, mark it down, drop the contracts right now. <laughs> It would be so good. Get into that Kansas City market more and get into the Denver market. That's really what this is about. And frankly, acad- academically, I think Colorado would lift them up. Of course it would. Are you kidding me? All right, last thing here. I, I was doing some searching. This was July 21st, 2011. I just want to play this for you. Oh, boy. This was Nebraska was in the Big Ten. Uh, and the Big 12 was still going through turmoil. This was 10 years ago this month when things were going on. Uh, I know we've played we've played the Big 12 emergency teleconference in the past, so you can go back and find that. It's, it's great. I was listening to it. It's pretty comical. But this we used to do this on the show, and we would just share a laugh about something, right, where we would just come up with a topic that was going on and just laugh about it and play drops of people laughing. We did that right before the end of a segment. Said, so, Nick, do you want to do you want to just share a laugh about the Big Twelve? Because they were going through some stuff. Uh let's play that. I I didn't remember this until I saw it in the search bar. Uh let's play this for you. This was July twenty first, twenty eleven, and um not a lot has changed. Here we go. Before we go any further, uh before we get to John Solomon at SEC Media Days, do you want to just kind of Share a laugh at what's going on with, like, the Big 12 Conference. Come on. Who are you talking to? Because if you if you kind of look at what's happening, you know, they had so much, like, kumbaya, and now it's – now there's things about they're, they're going to break apart. They're going to break apart. You know, there's talk about right, you know, them right, maybe right. going to the SEC, you know, and, and pretend, you know, A&M's not happy. You know what, you know what the deal is? Yeah, what? They, they were focused on that Fox TV contract. They were focused on that Longhorn Network. You know what I mean? You know what I, mean? I mean, my goodness. You know, you come from a point – you come from a point where it goes from everything's great, Nebraska's yeah, gone. Get life, him out of here. Life is good. And now you're at a point where this conference <laughs> might not even survive It is really funny. It is hilarious. It is really I funny. Mean, I thought, hey, Barry Trammell, how's your, how's, your, how's your conference now? Everything's great? Yeah. Boy, Tom Osborne's a big troublemaker, isn't he? Are you still <laughs> hanging around the campfire singing Kumbaya? What? Yeah. You got Regents meetings now? We had our Regents meetings. Our Regents meetings were a year ago. Benefit to all, detriment to none. Yeah, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I mean, are you yeah. kidding me? Detriment to all, benefit to one. <laughs> Take a break, and then we'll have John Solomon from the Birmingham News on. I think that was good. I think that was. I feel good. better. I feel better about things. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just mocking a league. Just, just mocking it. It's just amazing how uh, 
the more things change, the more they stay the same. Even Barry Trammell had a scathing we, – we referenced Barry Trammell there. He had a scathing column about Nebraska earlier this week, and in the column he referenced how it's amazing that the Big 12 looks like the more stable conference than the Big 10. And it's like, whoops, whoops, whoops. <laughs> Literally like two days later, the Big 12 is – on the brink of potentially folding with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. So yeah, this is uh, oh. this is you're in Nebraska. You're looking in the rearview mirror, going, "Man, we just if we were here, you know, ten seconds earlier, we'd be dead." Yep, that's uh, it. That we'd be we'd be in big big trouble. But it's in the rearview, and you feel bad for everyone. You just you feel bad for college sports, and you hope. Look, we're recording this on Saturday. Uh, my guess is by Monday there'll be some sort of announcement, and maybe in the next couple of weeks this thing will be official. Unbelievable, but, man. But, yeah, what's the Unbelievable. On well, here we go. It is uh, time to – look, I- I'm really curious as we say goodbye, what does Tyler McKinney think about conference realignment? I'm not happy about that. Shick and Nick. Yeah. Shick and Nick. Yeah. Shick and Nick show. Yeah. Here we go. Yes! Yeah! Yeah! Yes! How can a good athletic director help a football coach, help a football program, especially one who's familiar with it? What does that look like? Wow, you're pretty good at asking questions, aren't you? A Huda Media Production.